we're starting a new series today, and in starting that new series, you'll see up there, it's Cultivating a Growing Faith. And um, I want to share just a little bit with you of, of kind of where this comes from and a little bit about where we're going to be going with it. There is a, a movement in the, in the evangelical church, if you kind of pay attention uh, to social media and you hear people mention this and some of the ways that they talk, uh, but the movement has a name. Um, and the movement is called deconstruction. And what it simply is about is people who have grown up in their faith getting to the point as they are becoming adults where they start asking the question of, I believe this, but does my life or does the lives of people around me who say they believe this, do, do these things line up? And what they do is, is they kind of begin walking through their faith and asking questions about their faith and to, to use the term, deconstructing their faith. And it's a, uh, it's a thing that we see in a lot of different, different places um, where people kind of ask the question of, you know, I believe in the love of God or the love of Christ, but I'm not a loving person. Or I believe in the grace of God, but yet I find myself being very judgmental. Or I believe in the truth. Um, I'm against gossip, but yet I can't help but talk about people. Uh, and people deal with, with this, and it's one of those things that we're seeing more and more in the church of uh, kind of young people walking through this. I bring all that up to say uh, that the reason I want to walk through this is, is I've, about two years ago, um, I was on uh, one, of my, one of our runs with our group of pastors that we run with. We were in Gatlinburg, and my friend Lewis Stark asked me about, he said, hey, have you ever listened to this particular podcast? And I had never heard it, and so I started listening to it. And the guys that did this podcast, they actually wrote a book. And so the book uh, is called Having the Mind of Christ, Eight Axioms for a, for a, to Cultivate a Robust Faith. And their goal of this book was to begin to create some type of roadmap that in our faith, if we have questions, if there are things that we struggle with, that to use kind of a nautical term, to have some stars up there that point us back home. What are the things when we begin asking questions about our faith, what are the things that, that get us back to where we're supposed to be? And kind of understanding that it's okay to ask questions. One of the things I remember from uh, college quite a bit is one of my professors, Dan Spross, used to always say, God's big enough for your questions. You're not gonna hurt God's feelings. God can handle your questions. But sometimes we ask questions and we don't know where to find answers. And so they wrote this book and as I read the book, I thought, this is a perfect sermon series. I'm going to have to preach this at some point. And so I've kind of been walking through it for a couple years. And then with doing the series on truth, I thought this just kind of lines up perfectly with that series. And so we're going to spend the next eight weeks, we're going to walk one by one through these axioms. If you decide to read the book, uh, then it's I'm using a little bit of it, but I'm kind of just using their statements as a basis for where we're going. Uh, but if you have this little card, I want to walk through uh, just real quick. Let's talk about ax the word axiom is one that I wasn't super familiar with. And so I wanted to make sure I defined it for you to make sure you know what it is. Uh, but the word axiom simply is a statement that is regarded as being established, accepted, or self-evidently true. So these are eight statements that they say are kind of our guiding understanding and to help us understand our faith, that in those moments when we have questions, in those moments that we have doubts, these are things that pull us back home, 
that point us back to who God is. And so I'm going to walk through these eight with you just real quick, and then we're going to just go one by one through the weeks. And so the very first one is what we'll do this week. The second one we're going to do next week and on through the series. And so these axioms, you'll see them on the card. You'll also see them up here on the screen. So the first one is uh, pretty simple, which is a great place to start. God is love, so it's all about love. That's what we're going to talk about here in just a few moments. The second one is God is always present and at work. God is just like Jesus. God meets us in our messy reality. God cares about all of it way more than we do. God does the same work in us and through us. God's love always reckons with power. And then God transforms us through embodied participation. And so this is our, our outline for the next eight weeks. So we're, you know exactly this is what we're going to preach on or what I'm preaching on for the next eight weeks. This will take us all the way to Labor Day. And uh, then we'll jump back into the Old Testament on the Sunday after Labor Day. So let's uh, just go ahead and kind of jump into our first one. God, uh, God is love. So it's all about love. That's where we're going to just kind of jump in. We don't have children's, children's church today. So I know kiddos just hang with me. We're going to get, we're going to, parents, I know the time. So we're going to kind of keep working through this. So the very first one, God is love, so it's all about love. So let's jump into John, 1 John uh, chapter 4. And it is a passage that is a very famous passage when we talk about God's love. So verse 7, John writes to the church, Dear friends, let us love one another, because love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Love consists of this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, if God loved us in this way, we also must love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God remains in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we remain in him and he in us. He has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father, he has sent his Son as the world's Savior. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God remains in him and he in God. We have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. The one who remains in love remains in God and God remains in him. In this, love is made complete with us that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Instead, perfect love drives out fear because fear involves punishment. So the one who fears is not, is not complete in love. And then verse 19 is where we'll end this passage. We love because he first loved us. So let's walk through uh, just a couple points. And these points are on your little card that you have here. 
And so the first point that we have is that God is love and love is the greatest power in the world. God is love and love is the greatest power in the world. Now let's turn to, we're going to turn back, we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, there is a passage that we all know is the the love chapter. But sometimes we kind of miss what's going on in this chapter. There is a controversy going on in the church in Corinth. And the controversy in the church in Corinth is, is that different people in the church have different spiritual gifts. Some have the gift of prophecy, some have the gift of tongues, some have the gift of teaching, and they have these different gifts and they do what humans do, which is we weigh our gifts. And so they begin saying, well, I have this gift and this gift is more important than your gift. My tongues is more important than you, your prophecy or my knowledge is more important than your teaching. And they go through and they have this debate. And so Paul enters into the debate and chat. Well, he enters into the debate for the entire book. But in chapter 13, he comes into this debate and says to us, this is the beginning of the love chapter. If I speak in human or angelic tongues, but do not have love. I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith so that I can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give away all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. So what are the results of these gifts if we pull love out of them? Paul tells us, I'm a noisy gong. I am nothing. I gain nothing. As Christians, the greatest power in this world is God's love. God's love is the greatest power in this world. And we have the opportunity as God's people to live out this love in, what, in, in everything that we do, in the ways that we live. We are people who possess God's love and have the opportunity to live that out. The problem is, that the issues that we deal with are the same issues that the church in Corinth lived with, is that there was a temptation for them and there is a temptation for us to rank other things above love, to rank knowledge, to rank power, to put other things above love and to say, you know, well, these things are actually more important than love and so this is what I need to focus on. One of my all-time favorite fiction books ever is a book by a guy named Kayam Potok, and the book is called The Chosen. And some of you have never heard of that book, and you think, Pastor, that sounds like a really nerdy book. It is. But it's a book about two boys, Daniel Saunders and Reuben. Daniel is the son of a Jewish uh, priest Daniel is the son, or Daniel's the son of the priest. Reuben uh, is just a normal Jewish kid. Daniel is Hasidic. Reuben is just an Orthodox Jew. And so they hate each other, despise each other, and through an incident at a baseball game, end up becoming best friends. 
And in the story, if you go through and you read the whole book, and there's actually a movie about it as well, if you'd rather skip the book, but some of you are thinking the book sounds boring, the movie sounds boring, but it's really, they're both really, really good. But in the story, Daniel's father, who is this Jewish priest, raises Daniel in silence. So from the time Daniel's 10 or 11 years old, he never speaks to his son. And at the very end of the book and at the very end of the movie, the two boys come in and they meet with this gray hair, beautiful beard man. And they have this whole, uh, Daniel or Reuben has this whole conversation with, with Daniel's dad. And Daniel begins to tell him why he raised his son in silence. And he begins to tell him that what happened was, was that when his son was young, his, he took his son books and they were books about the, the terrible things that had happened to the Jewish people. And he said his son came back to him and his son was excited because he knew all the words in the book. I had accomplished something. I, I knew all the words and he was excited, but he completely missed the pain of what his people had been through. And then in the movie, he actually says it better in the movie than in the book. This is what he says. Master of the universe, what have you done to me? You give me a mind like this for a son, a heart I need for a son, a soul I need for a son, compassion and mercy I need for a son, and above all, the strength to carry pain I need for a son. To me, that's one of those moments in my life when I read the book, seen the movie, that sticks out in my head of what it is to be the people of God because we are tempted to privilege knowledge. And what Reb Saunders tells us there is what we need as the people of God are to be people who carry compassion, who carry love, People who have the strength to carry one another's pain. Knowledge is great. Knowledge is wonderful. But the ability to walk through life with one another, to carry one another, is one of the greatest things that we can do as the people of God. Now, the next piece of this is that salvation cannot be separated from God's love. Now, I don't want you to miss these two points because these two points go together. The very first point, what is the greatest power in the world? God's love. Salvation cannot be separated from God's love. Sin is not merely breaking God's rule. It is also a broken relationship with the one who loves you. The greatest power in this world is God's love. Now, I know, I know some of you are like, well, pastor, love can do a lot. Love's great, but love can't do everything. We got to add a little bit of this, or we need to put a little bit of this. I would say to you, love is the greatest power in the world. It is the power of salvation. It is the power of God. We don't have to add other things to love. If we think we have to add other things to love, our view of love is too small. For God so what? Loved. 
the world, that he sent his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will be what? Saved. That eternal life flows, salvation flows from the very love of God. Don't miss what John says, this incredible statement that John makes right there in the middle of chapter four. God's love was revealed among us in this way. This is just, just another way of saying John 3, 16. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. That we might have life. God's love is the most powerful force in this world. Salvation is an overflowing of love from God. It is the overflowing of God's heart for his people to be brought back into that loving relationship. Salvation is relationship restored. Salvation is us coming back into that relationship. But the third piece that I've already kind of mentioned is it's hard for us to trust love to get the job done. We always think that we have some other little piece that we have to add into it. We always think there's something else that has to happen. Love isn't that strong. Let me tell you just, so being at NYC last week, we had seven sessions, seven speakers. I will tell you, you can go on YouTube and you can watch every single service, you can watch every single speaker. They were all phenomenal. I told some people this morning, there was only one that I didn't particularly enjoy, but it wasn't his fault. The problem is, is I'm 46 years old and we had to be down for breakfast at 8 a.m. in the morning and we got back between 11.30 and midnight. And day three of that, which this old boy didn't do that too well, day three of this, Sunday or Saturday morning, they had a speaker, his content was great, but he had the most soothing voice I have ever heard. And I literally like sat there like holding my eyes open, trying desperately to stay awake. It was not his fault. And so I need to go back and listen to him because I, I took notes. I, I tried to keep writing everything I could down just to stay awake. But all, all seven speakers were phenomenal. And over these next few weeks, I took notes and there were things that I thought like, ooh, that fits in really well with this axiom. I'm gonna share that there. I'm gonna share this here. But I, I want to kind of pull all this together by by completely stealing an example from NYC. Okay, I'm admitting it, so it's not really stealing, but it has stuck with me, and if you, the students that were at NYC, I believe it probably stuck with them. On our first night, so it's the second session, if you wanna go back and listen to it. The first night, there was a, uh, a speaker, her name's Carly, and she told the story of, the story that we all know well, the story of the woman at the well. And part of the story that she pointed out at the woman at the well is this woman comes to Jesus. Jesus is there. We know the story. She comes with a pitcher or she comes with a jar to get water. And they have this whole conversation about living water. And one of the things she pointed out was, was that in her hands, she was holding this jar. This jar gave her a job. It gave her something to do. It gave her value in a world that told her she had no value, this jar gave her value. And Jesus says to her, 
the water you're drawing is temporary water. I can give you eternal water. Y'all remember the story? I, I can give you something eternal, but in order for me to do that, you've got to do something. You've got to put down your jar. And you can go back and read the story. And she pointed this out. And I had to go back to double check her. Not that I didn't think she was telling the truth. But just to make sure that it was there. John chapter 4. This is sitting on the screen. Verse 29. This is what it says. Then the woman left her water jar. And went to town. And told the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? She had to put down her water jar. Why is this important? So at NYC, she made all of us do this. And I'm going to make all all of you, I want you to participate. We're going to do an experiment. Okay? Some of you are like, whenever I ask you to do this, you're like, I'm not doing it. You're doing it, all right? I'll have uh, Jake and Owen and Wyatt come around and double check, make sure we know. Okay, so this is what we had to do. Clench your fists. Everybody, even if you were at NYC, you know where I'm going. Hopefully you remember this. Do you remember this, Owen? Yeah, okay. Clench your fists and clench them as tight as you can. Okay, keep clenching. Okay, if you start to get tired, clench a little harder. Okay, everybody doing good? We go a little harder? Let's go a little tighter? A little tighter? Okay, anybody ready to stop? Do we need to go longer? If, if you aren't ready to stop, we might need to go longer, and you might need to clench harder. Clench a little harder? How long can we do this? Are y'all ready to stop? All right, let's stop. All right. This is the statement she made after she had us do this. Living with clenched fists is exhausting. We we weren't designed to live with clenched fists. The problem is this. When I come up here and I talk about God's love and I say God's love is the greatest, powerful, best thing in the world, some of you are like, well, pastor, that sounds good, but here's the problem. I'm exhausted. I don't know if I could live that life out. And I would tell you one of the things I learned at NYC is one of the big reasons it's hard for us to love other people is because we're spending our lives exhausted, clenching our fists. It is hard to love people with clenched fists. It's way easier to love people We were designed to love people with our hands open. And my question for you this morning, and I put some blanks on that card, my question for you is, what is it in your life that you are holding on to, clenching your fists? What is the jar in your life that you think, this is what gives me value, this is what gives me purpose, and God is saying to you, what I need you to do is to put it down. I need you to put it down because I want to do something in your life. I want to love other people through you, but you're walking around with clenched fists. Not letting other people love you and not letting yourself love other people. 
Because some of us carry around hurt. Some of us carry around pain. Some of us carry around past sin. Some of us carry around all of these things and we think this is what I'm holding on to. And God says it's, it's, it's time to let go of it. It's time to open up our hands so that God can love through us. You were not designed to live with clenched fists. You weren't designed to be someone who holds it all in. You were designed to be someone who loves with arms and hands open. This is what we were designed to be. And there's so much more life living this way. That night after the service, we left NYC and we were going back to our hotel and we were, the, some of the adults, we were in the van and the bus was behind us. And there were four or five charter buses in front of us and there was a man and two teenagers on the corner and they had left NYC and they were, they were staying downtown. And so they, the, the charter buses started making a right, right-hand turn and as they kept turning, the light turns red and they kept turning and this man and these two girls completely miss their turn signal or completely miss their walk. And so we're watching him and he's looking at me, I'm driving the bus, the van, and he's doing this to me. And I'm like, I, I see you, I'm gonna let you walk. And he just keeps doing this. So I said to Seth Martin, he was in the back seat. I said, Seth, I'm gonna roll up and I want you to open up the door and I want you to tell this man to unclench his fists. I'll let him go. Well, then the light turns green. Seth didn't do that, by the way. The light turns green. He gets a walk and he stands there in the crosswalk doing this. The crosswalk had been green for 30 seconds. And I was like, dude, if you would just turn around and look, you could be through the crosswalk. I'm letting you go. And to me, it was just, it was another one of those moments where I thought, how often do we do that? How often do we think that I have to control? How often do I think I have to be the one in control, that I have to clench my fists? When God is saying, just, just open up your hands. Open up your life to what I want to do in and through you. One of the great things, and I'll be telling stories for the next few weeks about NYC, one of the great things about NYC is being with teenagers. You always have little issues you have to deal with. That's just part of it. But the other night on the service on Saturday night, we were in the middle of worship. There's 10,000 people in this arena singing together. And I look over and there's this like dog pile of our teenagers all praying over each other. Well, as a pastor, I kind of watch, do they need anybody? Do they need me to pray with them? Do they? James was on the other side. I think, did you ever see him? I think James was so worshiping, he never even noticed that they were all praying right next to him. Y'all can imagine that. And so they're all over there, but they're all praying, and I just kept watching them. And then as the service went on, as worship went on, they all kind of stood back up, wiped off tears. So the next morning when we met for breakfast, I would kind of go through and ask them questions. And so I asked them, I said, so how did... What y'all think of last night's service? And one of those girls said, it was incredible. She said, we were all praying for Annalise and she began to tell her story and talk about them praying. 
And then she said this. She said, we were all praying. And it was in that moment that I felt God call me to ministry. Well, I'll give you all one guess what, what this guy did. I started crying, in case you didn't know. And that afternoon, we were walking, we'd gone to Orlando, we're walking to the bus for dinner. And I was walking with Lizzie, who was a little girl, who was the girl that said that. And Lizzie said to me, she said, I've never met a grown, a grown man that could cry as fast as you could cry. And I said, Lizzie, I'll tell you the truth. Putting all this together is hard work. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of time. But to know that there's one teenager who heard God speak, it's all worth it. And I'm going to cry about that. But being with those teenagers and, and seeing the way that they respond, seeing their openness is a reminder and hopefully a reminder to all of us. And, and if you haven't watched any of them, go to YouTube, look up NYC. You'll, there's plenty of videos. You can watch, watch them there. I'll have some of it next week here in the service. But to be a part and to see what it looks like if we began to say, I want to live with my hands wide open. God, whatever you want of my life, whatever you want, I want to be someone who loves. I want to be someone who doesn't carry all my hurt and pain. I know you have the hurt and pain. But I want to be someone with arms wide open, with hands open to love. This morning as we close, that's really my question to you. And I put those questions down there on the card. What are you holding on to that hinders your ability to love? What is it that you grasp that you think you have to have? And God says, you know what, it's, it's time to let it go. That this is exhausting. You're not designed to live this way. What is it that you need to let go? And today as we close, for some of you, you might just need to take that extra step and to just say, I'm going to write those things down or I'm going to write that thing down. And I just want to come and just come to the altar, come find a place and just to say, God, it's, it's yours. I, I want to give this to you because I'm tired of carrying it. I'm tired of living with clenched fists. It's time to live with hands wide open, to love the way that you have loved me. We could go through and read more in John's epistle. If you go back into chapter three, if you read more into chapter four, you hear John start talking about how we love our brothers and sisters. And I think we could kind of put this metaphor into what John is saying. It's hard to love your brothers and your sisters with clenched fists. It's way easier with hands open. So this morning as we close, I just invite you, if you want to come and find a place to pray, if you want to pray with the pastor, Pastor James will be right over here. If you'd like to be anointed for healing, spiritual, emotional, physical, whatever you would like, I'll be down at this altar to pray with you. 
But maybe we just need to come with hands open and come and find a place and say, God, I, I need to leave my water jar. I need to leave those things that I've been clinging on to that have absolutely exhausted me so that I can love, so that I can love the way that you want me to love. Let us stand as we sing.